a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. This is then a sanctification. Is a daily drowning of the flesh and the, and a daily rising again of the new man to life. Uh, and that is what we call repentance. The law comes to us and shows us our sin, and then the gospel comes and, and forgives our sins, and, and, and by that the new man rises daily to life. The point is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, I, I wonder if the gospel was preached in that gray old church. I wonder if the sacraments were rightly administered. Because if it was, that's the point. I wonder if those gray old people needed the forgiveness of sins. It's like putting Vaseline in your eyes before reading the New Testament to be a dispensation. Because <laughs> you can't tell anyway what's up and down. So. You're just trying to get on the Facebook quote page. Welcome to this edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline here with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Uh, exciting, Good morning. Exciting day for Table Talk Radio listeners because we're going to play a brand new game. And this name is called oh, yeah. Name That Logical Fallacy. Uh, and then I mean, people have been clamoring for a game like this <laughs> for years. Yes, and we have responded to the need. Uh, so that's coming up. Also, <laughs> that's what right. That's Table Talk Radio responding to felt needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, later in the program, we're going to be talking with Chris Roseboro of uh, Fighting for the Faith Radio Program and uh, PirateChristianRadio.com. Uh, he recently made the the trip out to Oregon to debate Doug Paget of emergent church fame on the topic "Does Hell Exist?" So we're talking about that in the second hour of the program, or the second half hour of the program. Um, but for now, we need to do some buzzwords. All right. Do you have a buzzword? I got one for you. Okay. Ready? Ready. Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology. I think that we've comes used from that one two. Oh, I know. I can't trouble to check on this anymore. <laughs> At some point, we're going to run out of buzzwords, aren't we? So this is uh, from, from two Greek words, um, ekklesia, which means that's the word we translate church, to be called out, and uh, logos, which is word, thing, study of, is how it comes across. So study of the church. So ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church. Now, everyone, by the way, these days is obsessed with ecclesiology. I mean, you can't, you can't, you know, spit without hitting someone talking about ecclesiology. Uh, it's terrible. Because this is the point, is that church is... Nothing other than uh, than Christ's institution, so that the Lord's His victory of uh, over sin and death on the cross and resurrection would be distributed throughout the world. So all the there's all this talk about ecclesiology, but hardly any of it has to do with Jesus. Uh, the definition that the that the Bible gives in, of the church, at least one of the clearest and nicest, is when Jesus says simply, "My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me," so that. Uh, so that to have the shepherd speaking, there you have the church. Good. All right. Well, my theological buzz phrase for you is higher criticism, which is, I know, something you were wanting to talk about today. Um, When we talk about higher criticism, we're talking about the method of of reading the Scripture where you take a position that Scripture is not uh, the Word of God, but you treat uh, Scripture as... um, 
uh, as any historical book. But in doing so, you're constantly looking at a, at, a, at a, you're over the scriptures, looking at at a, at a critical level, saying, uh, can this really be true? So those of of the the world of higher criticism feel at liberty to uh, say this text wasn't there or this uh, didn't really happen. Um, in fact, what's that group that the um, uh, what's that group that gets together and votes on these things? Uh, the, the anti-Jesus seminar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's really called the the Jesus seminar, which is unfortunately named. Uh, but but yeah, so they get together and they have these little colored balls and they vote on on what uh, passages they think really happen and which ones are just made up. And I heard you can actually buy a Bible that's color coded. Uh, I don't know why anybody would want a, a, a Jesus seminar uh, Bible, but. Uh, that's higher uh, criticism, and that is your buzzword no. for today's show. Yeah, that's. Hold on, I just wrote the points joke. The points are like a Jesus <laughs> seminar Bible. Oh, you just hold ruined on for it. that listener. Well, no, you'll get that at the end. It'll you, be great too. <laughs> you, you can tune out now. I mean, the only the only reason people stick in there is to uh, to to hang in there for the the points joke. So no one's gonna be listening anymore. The only reason I thought we had the first half of the show is to give me some material to make a points joke. <laughs> That's true. All right, let's get into this <laughs> brand new game, Name That Logical Fallacy. And uh, this is how the game works. We give you three or four possibilities for logical fallacies, explain what they mean, and then we're going to play a, a clip or read a quote, and then the other person, in this case, Pastor Wolfmuller, has to decide which logical fallacy... Uh, the quote or the the audio clip uh, is committing. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into these theological or these logical fallacies. The first one is, and here's some Latin for you, Pastor. So you ought to be excited about this. Oh yeah, yeah. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. Which? Ah uh, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> I can I, hold on. I want to say that. Okay. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. Right. Good. <laughs> Uh, hey, thanks. That's fun. <laughs> this is uh, a false cause uh, logical fallacy or a coincidental correlation. So, uh, if if you uh, say that that two things are correlated, so therefore one caused the other, that is a logical fallacy. Uh, you have to demonstrate in your argument why the one caused the other. So, if I said uh, the Denver Broncos didn't ta- start Tim Tebow and therefore they lost by 45 points to the Oakland Raiders. That would be committing this fa- this fallacy because I haven't demonstrated why Tim Tebow could have saved the Bronco defense. Or, or as like the people here at Hope say, ever since you came, Pastor, it hasn't <laughs> rained a single day in Denver. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a a, sort of thing. a coincidence, but you haven't you haven't demonstrated in your argument why the two are related. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the next one is begging. Talk ergo proctor. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I you'll like probably guess that. that one first, just because that's your favorite to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, the You're next right. one is right. begging the question. Um, this is where the conclusion of an argument is implicitly or explicitly assumed in the premise. Uh, so this would be like if I, if I asked you, uh, Pastor, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Nice. Or, or uh, we used to always do this when we were um, when we were young. We'd uh, we'd you know be at the checkout of the grocery store, and I'd always say to a buddy of mine. So, how's that rash? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, The lady checking you out is like this, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> or when you ask someone, uh, aren't you tired of listening to Table Talk Radio? That's a huge assumption that goes along with it, that they're already, li- already listening to Table Talk Radio. So, that yeah, is right. begging the Table question. Table Talk, what? <laughs> All right. Well, I have two more. Uh, and 
And uh, both of the, the next two fall into a, a wider category of logical fallacies, and that is a, a red herring. And uh, do you know how, the, how this uh, term came about? Um, they, they used to, to train uh, dogs or fox to, to follow a scent, and they would use a, a fish, a red herring, to follow the, the scent um, until they were kind of trained well enough to follow the scent of the thing they were following. And then what they would do is they would, they would drag a uh, red herring perpendicular across the path of the original scent, trying to trick the dog and training it uh, to, to follow the scent of the red herring rather than the original, the original scent. And so yeah. the whole the whole idea behind a red herring uh, fallacy is that you distract the person from the original argument. So you're, you're talking about uh, something over here, and then instead of addressing the the actual argument at hand, you talk about something else uh, uh, to try and w- wiggle your way out of it. Uh, so yeah. the next two are red herrings. The first one is an ad hominem, and this is where you attack the person that you're arguing with rather than than arguing the point. So that's that's. Uh, an ad hominem. So that, also Latin? Ad yes, hominem. yes, it's also Latin. And uh, and this would be like uh, if you said, um, uh, uh, you know, those those Calvinists are just really dumb, you know, uh, then, then that would be an ad hominem. They don't have time to do theology. They're always sitting around making blogs. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be an example of Yeah, every Calvinist has three or four blogs. <laughs> Is that ad hominem? Yeah. So yeah. uh, you can actually find it. But anytime yeah. you make fun of someone, it's ad hominem. Eh? That's, yeah, that's true. I mean, oh. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so all the examples I'll have for these are from our our show. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Uh, but I I, <laughs> I do have one more here uh, with about a minute left. Um, the next one is a straw man, uh, and this is where you you uh, miss represent a person's position and then attack that false representation of their position. Uh, and, and so therefore, you this is this one's fun because it's really easy for you to look smart if you just don't represent the person's case very well. Uh, so uh, so you set up the straw man and then you, you, you tear him down uh, easily because it's not the real position. So this would be like if I said... Um, uh, uh, since Lutherans teach that man can save himself by being baptized, uh, they obviously aren't Christian because the Bible teaches against that. Well, Lutherans don't teach that you can save yourself by being baptized, but it, baptism is a work of God. And so we're not being saved by man's work of baptism, but by the gift of God bestowed to us through water and the word. So that would be a straw man. Got it. You got him? All, All right. right. So four logical fallacies. We've got the post hoc ergo propter hoc. Begging the question, ad hominem, and straw man. All right, so those are your four possibilities. And after this break coming up, uh, we will uh, take a look at some of these examples and see if you can get them. If you want to give us a call, you can give us a call at 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-SOLA. Or you can send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Agree or disagree, we want to hear from you. 1-800-385-SOLA or questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll continue with Name That Logical Fallacy on Table Talk Radio right after this. Part-time hosts, full-time nonsense. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Each year, Concordia Theological Seminary hosts the Good Shepherd Institute, in which they talk about liturgy, hymns, the church's life of worship, and how it applies to the Lord giving us his gifts. The theme this year is the theology of the Christian's death in rite and song, and it's a marvelous schedule, beginning on Sunday afternoon, November the 7th, and ending on Tuesday, uh, November the 9th at lunchtime. This is, this is two and a half days packed with the Lord's word and his blessings. The, uh, the plenary, uh, one of the plenaries that I would really love to hear is, is Dropping Dead in Jesus, a biblical theology of death and dying uh, by, by William Swirla from Holy Trinity in Hacienda Heights, California. There, there's also the rhetoric of death, preaching that death conquers death. Uh, by uh, Dr. Busher and Peter Cage, uh, both uh, marvelous preachers. Uh, Professor Pless is going to be there giving a plenary, the baptismal ethic at life's end, dying we live, uh, and, and that would also be well worth your time to go and attend. If you're interested in, in attending the Good Shepherd Institute, you can visit the seminary website at ctsfw.edu and, and sign up to go there. So again, the Good Shepherd Institute, hosted by Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Sunday, November 7th uh, to Tuesday, November 9th. Back to Table Talk Radio this Reformation Week uh, on Table Talk Radio. It's good to have a little mighty fortress on Reformation Week. Nice. It's Reformation Week. Okay. <laughs> You're wearing red, aren't you? Oh, man. All black. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe, you, you know, you, uh, last week I asked the listeners to send in uh, their ideas for a, uh, a ringtone. And, and was it Carrie that, that suggested Men yeah. in Black? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. The Will Smith. Uh, you know, when I was on Vicarage, uh, we had this year year end Vicar roast, and uh, and they <laughs> someone played the um, Johnny Cash song uh, about being in black all uh, the time. Well, I'll think about that too. Were you the only one that wore your collar around, or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other pastors had collars, but they had more exotic coloring. You know, light blue. Oh, yeah. I never could understand the pink clerical. <laughs> it just doesn't. It's like, wait, wait look. Uh, did you guys notice that only after they started selling a clerical in women's sizes that the pink <laughs> color came out? <laughs> but oh well. That's becoming well, the, all things to all people, and I the, guess. And the <laughs> And there's the the white ones, which uh, I don't quite get either. No, yeah, the white clerical. That's a weird one. And then the, you can't even see if the collar's in or not. <laughs> right. Just All right. Your white clerical would have a black collar. <laughs> which is you know kind of uh, weird for the symbolism of the collar, but I think that would be post hoc ergo proctor hoc to do that. <laughs> what the the selling of women's? Uh, all right, I think you're right. Okay, let's let's get into these uh, this <laughs> logical fallacy game. Uh, these are the the four logical fallacies before you: the post hoc ergo proctor hoc, begging the question, ad hominem, and straw man. And uh, this is the first clip. You have three clips, so one of these uh, won't be used. So, uh, but here's the first clip. And welcome back to Hannity's America. Author and journalist Christopher Hitchens is no stranger to controversy. In this week's hot seat, I go head to head with him over his brand new book, God is Not Great. To be an atheist, you have to believe that it is possible 
which I think is a far greater leap of faith. That's something that can be created out of nothing. When you, when you look at the majesty and sophistication and the intricacy of the universe that we do know and comprehend, you have to believe that somehow that this energy could have existed on its own, and I do not believe that is... That, to me, is a leap of faith. You, you give me the awful impression, I hate to have to say it, of someone who hasn't read any of the arguments against your position ever. I've read all the arguments. I, mean, I don't of, see of, how of, you can be saying this. When, look, you want, to take, you want your God to take responsibility for the huge number of collapsing stars and imploding galaxies and destroyed universes and failed solar systems. Uh, that have left us in this tiny corner on, one, on the one planet in this petty solar system that can support life some of the time on some of its surface. And you want to take, you want, uh, you want a creator who's filled the, this earth with species since life began, 99% of which are now extinct already. And this is some design, isn't it? All right, what do you think? Ooh, okay. Uh, now, I'm not sure if you want me to criticize Hannity's or well, let's, <laughs> argument or Hitchens' argument. Oh, well, I have uh, a word to say about Hannity before. Well. Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay. Uh, the, this is the thrust of the argument that, ha that Hannity makes. says, look, everything's pretty fancy around here, um, so it must be created. And then Hitchens comes back and says, no, not so much fancy. Uh, everything's dying and falling apart. Um, this, I mean, hmm. uh, therefore it wasn't created. In my mind, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. I, this is a kind of, i got to start thinking about these logical fallacies. <laughs> um, so it could be begging the question. The conclusion of the argument is implicitly or explicitly assumed in one of the premises. I mean, that would be the, the his argument where it says, well, if God created everything, then things shouldn't be falling apart or uh, something like that, which is a f that's a false premise. Um, he also there was a bit of ad hominem in there where he says, you strike me as the type of person that never read anything that anyone that disagreed with you. Um, but I think this is going to be, I mean, in my mind, this comes down, it's kind of a, uh, a straw man sort of thing. He's, you're, you're misrepresenting the, the, uh, the opponent's position by saying that uh, when we say that everything is created, we're saying that everything is wonderful. Oh. And that's not what we're saying. Oh. So I'm going to put this as a straw man. Good. Okay, so we have multiple ones dealing with... Um, I don't know if begging the question is there. You think begging, begging the question is there? Well, I mean, it, begging the question, but maybe not officially the, the petitio principi. <laughs> uh, you know, he. I mean, he is begging the question as we would commonly say it, but maybe not as a logical fallacy. Okay. He's not concluding, including the conclusion implicitly right. in the argument. Well, I took this clip as a example of a ad hominem because of uh, uh, his. Uh, need to insult the <laughs> the arguer rather than just uh, going at the argument. Uh, although I do I do uh, agree with your conclusion of being a straw man here because uh, yeah I mean because we say that's created doesn't mean that we're saying uh, that it, it is at all uh, perfect. I mean certainly if if, if anyone knew uh, the teaching of the Christian faith they would know uh, that we teach that it's a uh, a fallen world uh, stricken by sin. So of course there's going to be all kinds of things in this universe. Uh, that that aren't good. I mean, anyone who 
I'm you know recording this show from from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they're talking about tornadoes uh, today, possibly. And, oh, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, and, and uh, so I mean, obviously, we we look around, and not only do we see, uh, you know, I mean, what 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 uh, Sean Hannity speaks to is a uh, a natural uh, revelation that we see, you know, the wonders of of creation and think that there must be a God higher to, to create all this. That doesn't mean to say that it that it's all perfect. So good. I think you're right. right. Now I I have one little pet peeve to address here with uh, Hannity's comment uh that it takes a, a bigger leap of faith to, to believe that this just irritates me because when we as christians talk about faith uh we're not talking about uh uh believing in something blindly uh as as a atheist would have to believe in in evolution or something like that when we talk about faith we're talking about the gift that god has given us to believe these holy things, and so it's, it's, it's not the same thing. Well, that's it. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to get really worked up. No, no, it's too early in the morning to get too worked up. Okay, it is a little bit early in the morning, isn't it? <laughs> I noticed that. The stein, I was enjoying looking at the stars that are imploding apparently on the way driving to church this morning. I know. It. Okay, you ready for another one? Sure. Here it is. Uh, I'll say that this is uh, Bill Maher's documentary, Religulous. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Um, does it ever bother you that the story of a man mm-hmm. who was born of a virgin, was resurrected, your bio, mm-hmm. was something that was going around the Mediterranean for at least a thousand years? We've got Krishna, who was in India a thousand years before Christ. Krishna was a carpenter. Born of a virgin, baptized in a river. Are you saying that was written in history? That was written down in well, history? Is what you're absolutely. There's yeah. the, the Persian god Mithra, 600 years before Christ. Born December 25th, performed miracles, resurrected on the third day. Known as the Lamb, the Way, the Truth, the Light, the yeah. Savior, Messiah. Stop! Blasphemer! All I know is that I can. I don't go by that hearsay. That's I go by the Word of God. I know that's why I believe. Well, I believe it. Believe because it. Yes. It's true. Okay. It's not that. It's but not. There's a difference between truth and what you believe. But in the Bible, it tells us that all things are possible with okay. God. Okay. <laughs> Study the religions of the Mediterranean region for a thousand years before. Many of the gods were born on December 25th. It's no, not a new it's, one. It's not. It's, but it's not. It's funny you should bring that up because, of course, in Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, Anakin <laughs> is born to a virgin. And really? people see that and they say, wait a second, where have we heard that before? Right. It's not original. But when the Jesus first story happened, wasn't original. How so? Okay, what do you think, Pastor? Oh, let's see here. Is this what we, is this what we uh, identify? Did we do this earlier one time with a friend uh, on our show? Yes. Talk about religious. I think this is this uh, is going to qualify as this post hoc ergo propter hoc. Okay, how do you say uh, that? Which is what's called the coincidental correlation. Is that the uh, is that what's going on? Right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, right. we've talked about this a couple times. Um, if you go back, I think it's show seventy five. Uh, I was trying to look that up, but while you were talking, but you didn't talk long enough. Uh, Sorry. I think it shows 75, where we had uh, Mark Pearson, who was a vicar at the time, now a fourth-year seminarian. Talk, we talked about the Zeitgeist videos, which address all these same things. And so um, he, he does a, a pretty good um, uh, discussion, and he, he peels apart all these all these claims that uh, the, all these claims uh, aren't what they 
uh, are thought to be. They're not very well documented. And, um, I mean, for example, the point that he makes is that, uh, is that uh, December 25th, Christians didn't claim that Christ was born on December 25th until much later. So you can't say that, you know, the scriptures uh, were copying those those religions. Uh, you know, right. I mean, that wasn't something Christians even acclaimed for, for 300 years later. So, uh, but he peels well, all that still, apart. We do shows. not claim that, that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. Right. It's just just the, when the, his birth is celebrated. Right, yeah. There, there's a distinction to be made. Also, we did uh, also have Mark Pearson on for a table scraps to discuss uh, the movie Religulous. And so that's out there, too. Um, so that you can look that up on our website, tabletalkradio.org. All right. When we get uh, back, when we're talking with Chris, we'll, we'll finish this game up on the other side, but then we'll talk with Chris Roseborough of Pirate Christian Radio about his debate on hell with Doug Padgett. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Theological game show too outrageous for television. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. They say a man should always dress for the job he wants. So why am I dressed up like a pirate in this restaurant? It's all because some hacker stole my identity. Now I'm in here every evening serving chowder and iced tea. Oh, it's a shame we don't have Chris Roseborough on the line quite yet because we have to finish up this game. Uh, name that logical fallacy. We'll have to play that for him a little later. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the VeggieTales song, Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. You right. Know that, yeah. that's, that's what the, do you see this controversy? about how um, Rick Warren tweeted about how Chris Roseborough reminded him of the pirates that don't do anything. <laughs> Rick Warren, of all people. I did, whoa. That's a, I know. That's an ad hominem. <laughs> <laughs> you look like Captain Crunch. <laughs> all right. Well, we have listened to two of these clips, and we're playing uh, Name That Logical <laughs> Fallacy. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we have one more for you, Pastor. All right, uh, and let's so, see here. Yeah. Ad hominem, uh, straw man, post proctor hawk, or begging the question. One of the one of those four. Yeah, one of those four. Okay. And okay. this one is a, a little less uh, popular, I guess. Um, it, it, this is outside the mass media. This is someone's video blog, uh, and so you know it's got to be good, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, here it is. This is the final video in my series on Holy Scripture. In this video, I'll be discussing the Protestant belief called Sola Scriptura, which means Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura is the belief put forward by the Reformers in the 1500s that Scripture is the sole infallible guiding authority for the Church. In this video, I'll look at a few of the common arguments which Protestants present in support of Sola Scriptura and answer them from an Orthodox Christian perspective. I'll then explore some of the reasons why the Orthodox reject Sola Scriptura. Now, let's take a look at the Protestants' arguments. 1. Protestants often claim that while Christ quoted from Scripture, he neither observed nor gave sanction to extra-biblical traditions. This is incorrect. John 10, 22-23 records that Christ went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish festival called Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. This is problematic for Protestants as the story behind this religious holiday is contained in 1 Maccabees, one of the deuterocanonical books of the Old Testament, which Protestants do not accept as Scripture. 
The fact that Christ celebrated this holiday means Protestants either have to admit that Christ believed in and practiced this extra-biblical tradition, or that Christ accepted one Maccabees as scripture, which of course leads to the question, why do Protestants not accept this book as scripture? All right. All right. Well, so, I mean, basically, and we had this when we had our great friend um, Steve Parks on the show talking about Sola Scriptura or Sola Scriptura. So that you have the total misrepresentation of actually what the church believes. It's not that there's nothing right outside of the Bible, so that everything outside of the Bible is wrong. That's crazy talk. I mean... I, I, nobody thinks that. So, so is there a festival of Hanukkah, and, and and is it established in Maccabees? Well, of course it is. That doesn't deny sola scriptura. I mean, <laughs> uh, there's um, I mean there the, the, there's there's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. This comes from the uh, uh, from the Roman calendar. Does that mean that because Protestants recognize Monday and Tuesday that we've denied sola scriptura? <laughs> No. So this would be a. Uh, let me gotta find what fallacy this is. Uh, it is a false misrepresentation of the opponent's position, which is a straw man argument. Correct. All right. Correct. So you got all three of these right. So you get uh, two hundred six hundred points so far. Six six hundred table talk radio points. Sweet. Well, all right, then. Let's go to the phones where we have everyone's favorite theological pirate on the line, Chris Roseborough. He's the captain of PirateChristianRadio.com and host of the radio program Fighting for the Faith. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me back on. <laughs> okay, I so think Chris also has the distinction of being... being uh, he. How did this go? Rick Warren tweeted that you remind him of the Pirates Who Can't Do Anything VeggieTales movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the pirate who does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's funny. That my, my favorite line from the VeggieTales, you know, I'm a big uh, con- VeggieTales connoisseur, uh, back in the old evangelical days. This is a hilarious line where the guy comes up to me and says... You look like Captain Crunch. <laughs> I think we should call Chris Captain Crunch. Yeah. Well, you know, at the, at the debate I was just at, they introduced me as everyone's favorite Lutheran. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. That's quite the title. Man. Man. And that was in a room full of Calvinists. So I thought that was... <laughs> well, because they don't like Luther, so you would have to be there. <laughs> right. Yeah, I get to be Luther's surrogate. Yeah, apparently I'm nicer or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the reason we have you on the show, uh, that you went uh, to Oregon to debate Doug Pageant of Emergent Church fame. And maybe, uh-huh. Chris, just for for those who who may be tuning in and uh, have never heard about this emergent church, how would you summarize what the emergent church is? Um, uh, liberal mysticism. <laughs> hey, liberal mysticism. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> and that kind of came out really well. Um, basically, the emergent church movement is, uh, it's a new, it's a new kind of liberalism. It's not like the old rationalist modernist liberals where um you know they they had their modernist presuppositions against miracles and things like that these guys are a new brand of liberal they still uh uh try to play all kinds of bizarre games with the biblical text but uh, they don't have the same modernist presuppositions as a result of it uh, they're more open to the spiritual world and 
and they truly believe that they can mystically get in touch with the Holy Spirit that will lead them into all truth, and it just so happens that the Holy Spirit is teaching them to not take the uh, passages in the Bible that are meant to be interpreted literally, literally, and uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a mess. It, you know, basically it's your subjective ego. Or how did Pieper talk about it? He talks, talks about the, the, the subjective theologizing ego. These guys have that in spades, and uh, some of the stuff they say is just wild. If you go to an emergent conference and there's 400 people in attendance, there are literally 400 different theologies represented then at that conference. All right, so one of those things that uh, they don't take quite literally is the doctrine of hell, which is the topic of your debate. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris, is, is hell a real place? Oh, most certainly, and it's... Uh, and that helps us understand the whole concept of you know salvation itself. I mean, when we talk about our need for a savior and somebody being quote saved, what are they being saved from? Are they being saved from gastrointestinal problems? Are they being saved from bad finances or maybe a a marriage where the uh, you know the romance isn't quite as spicy as it used to be? No, uh, the biblical text tells us that what we're saved from is the soon-to-be-revealed wrath of God against our sin. And that today's the day of salvation, the day when Christ in his shed blood on the cross for our sins is being offered, you know, for, and, and held out as the solution to, uh, you know, to the forthcoming uh, revelation of God's wrath that each of us has earned as a result of our sinful wretchedness. And, uh, and so God you know, makes it clear that it's not his will that any should perish, and he's gone so far out of his way uh, in in the incarnation and the, and uh, being obedient under the Mosaic law, perfectly in our behalf and dying on the cross for our sins, that uh, you know it it, it it to lose the doctrine of hell is to completely lose the doctrine of the gospel. I mean, the gospel ceases to make sense without an understanding properly of what the bad news is and what the consequences of the bad news is. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, did you? I'm sure you made that argument. How did that? How did that go over? To, to our friend Padgett. <laughs> well, uh, let me put it this way. Doug Padgett is a, um, he's very charismatic, um, and uh, he's also a, a true student of uh, the uh, postmodern deconstructionist Derrida. And so, um, you know, after I made, you know, my biblical case, I, I argued from the biblical text beginning in Matthew uh, 13. What I did is, is that knowing how postmoderns think, you know, they somehow think that just because somebody's speaking in metaphor, that that means that you can pretty much interpret it any way you want, treat it like a, you know, a piece of silly putty. But in Matthew 13, Jesus actually gives uh, the parable of the weeds, and uh, when he gives the parable of the weeds, the disciples were scratching their head trying to figure out what he was talking about. And so they came to Jesus and said, can you interpret this for us and tell us what you meant? And so Jesus goes out of his way, and absolute, he interprets the passage for us and gives us the literal meaning behind the metaphorical and parabolic language that he used in the parable of the weeds. And, in, and so when, you know, the nice thing about that particular text is it takes us out of metaphorical language and brings us into, uh, you know, based on the text, a, you know, a literal understanding of what, the, what Jesus was talking about. And then arguing from there to other part, things that Jesus said, and then how the disciples understood Jesus. And then I brought church history into bear. It shows that there's this consistent line of thinking that uh, from Jesus to the apostles to the early church, that, uh, that you know, the church has taught from the beginning, has continued to, ta- to teach all along, that, uh, that God's wrath is 
soon to be revealed that hell's a real place, and the scriptures describe it as a lake of fire or the trash dump of fire, or in uh, Matthew 13, Jesus refers to it as the fiery furnace. And the interesting thing about that particular phrase in the Greek was that uh, Jesus, uh, when he talks about it, you know, the, the fire being the fiery furnace in his literal interpretation, uh, he uses this Greek phrase, tain diamond neon to puros, and uh, there's two uh, definite articles there. So Jesus is speaking emphatically. You know, uh, it's it's the uh, the furnace of the fire. It's and uh, that phrase actually appears uh, appears in the Septuagint in Daniel three six uh, when uh, when Nebuchadnezzar ordered people to bow down and worship the idol. And if you didn't worship, uh, bow down and worship that idol, the Nebuchadnezzar announced that you would be thrown into his tain diamond neon. Uh, to Puras, his, uh, his, and so uh, anyone familiar with the Septuagint at that point would have immediately recognized that phrase as coming from there. And so Jesus is giving us a, a very literal picture of what it is that uh, what hell is like and what it should be, uh, what we should expect. And all of the, you know, over and again, the metaphors, it, the parabolic. Chris, language, let me stop you right there. We'll be right back for more Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> no, that's just silly. John here, I'll up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get the shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your soul. All right, Chris, sorry to uh, interrupt you. Before the break, you were talking about uh, how these uh, texts appear in Scripture. Continue where you left off. Uh, basically, the idea then is is that you know that Jesus consistently uses this this uh, these met, this language that talks about judgment, God's wrath, and that uh, the the consequences of it are an eternal judgment, an eternal wrath, and uh, and many times when Jesus talks about this, he pairs it or parallels in this, he uses in the same breath eternal life and eternal judgment, etern- you know, and 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 eternal punishment. And as a result of it, you know, you got the two paired together. So if you want to deny that that hell is literal and that uh, and that God, you know, punishes people eternally, then you kind of you know, because Jesus pairs it with eternal life. You, if you if you throw out the one, you got to throw out the other if you're being consistent. And so these are some of the things that came up during the debate. Doug Paget was all over the board, though. I mean, it was it was, and I knew going in because of the way the debate was formatted. That uh, there would be no uh, there would be no way to pin him down, and the reason why is because I, I had the burden of proof on me, and he didn't have to prove anything. All he had to do was basically stand up and make the claim. Well, I don't think Chris made his point or proved his point, and then he you know he he was like on rollerblades, whereas you know I was anchored, so you know he he had a pea shooter, <laughs> and he and he he was all over the map. It was wild some of the things that he said, and so uh, you know it. it was, the, the, we're getting the debate out, kind of as we're piecing together the different audio uh, segments to uh, make it available for people. I mean, it, it's breathtaking to listen to. I almost think there's a book to be written just in me take, taking apart his opening, his opening argument because it's it's the quintessential postmodern uh, argument where words don't mean anything, and uh, and and so he he, <laughs> he just says the craziest things. So. 
And the nice thing is, is that I didn't feel the need to have to defend myself against his his bizarre ideas. In this, I just pointed to the fact he really didn't touch the substance of my argument, and he never really did. And uh, and as a result of it, at the end of the debate, uh, you know, even though I'm the one who had the affirmative thesis, he's the one who had all, the, almost all of the questions. And uh, you know, they they if they opened it up for questions and said, if you want to ask Doug a question or me a question, all you had to do was write it down. And so I received two questions that were you know just simple clarifications. Whereas I mean, people were basically going, "What are you talking about?" He got like thirty different questions himself. And at one point during the question and answer period, he he actually scolded the audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how'd that sound? You guys are too mean. Uh, I was just sitting there. I my jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I'm just thinking, you're not winning any points <laughs> doing this. Well, so. I'm here, I'll, I'll debate you, Chris, about the uh, the doctor of hell. <laughs> I'll, I'll play Doug Pageant for a little bit. Uh, and, and give you the argument. Oh, you talk about hell and a place of eternal destruction. That's just too mean. Uh, <laughs> and what? And my question is: By what standard are you making such a question? I mean, based on what are you saying that's mean? My feelings. <laughs> right. I guess that's I'm not a very good postmodern. <laughs> Hold on. Let me try to let me go. Let me go. Step away from the mic a little bit and go sing a couple of praise songs and come back and try okay, to be yeah. a postmodern. <laughs> oh, if you'll excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Chris, uh, what uh, this this example you point out that 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 the that that pageant was almost getting mad or angry or rebuking the audience. Um, uh-huh. what, do, what does that say about postmodernism or the emergent church um, as far as it's just real-life application, that uh, you take this ideology that, that postmodernism has and you apply it to, to you know, real-life things? Like, like you, uh, uh, a while ago, you had um, uh, that little public service announcement about the, the, the bank of postmodernism. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so how, how, speak, speak to that, how, this, uh, this mindset and how it plays in real life. Well, I can tell you this for a fact. I know this definitively. That if if uh, the people who held the debate, you know, we, you know, all of the debaters, there was two different debates, and uh, there were four debaters total. That if the uh, the people who held the debate decided that they were going to just give Doug Paget the honorarium that they felt in their heart, yeah, you know, that you know, they had a subjective feeling that that was the right thing to give him, he would freak out because he's expecting a very specific amount of money for his honorarium. So if they were to give him something less than that and said, well, this is what we felt that we should give you, uh, he, he would freak out. The, the postmoderns want you to basically interpret the Bible using the force and, and your feelings, but they don't want anybody else to be postmodern in the real life. They don't want uh, judges to be postmodern. They don't, want the, they don't want their bankers to be postmodern. They don't hire postmodern architects and engineers to uh, build their buildings and things like that. And so they're, they're radically, radically inconsistent. It is amazing that the Bible can be the, uh, can be the schoolhouse for this sort of stuff. I mean, uh, it's, our, it's our minds and our hearts that should be the most sturdied by the Lord's Word, by His sure and certain mm-hmm. Word and His acts and history. And yet that, this is precisely where the, the devil tends to go all fruitcake and and just believe and teach and do whatever we want because apparently it doesn't have consequences at least not that we can see. Well, they they actually treat uh, revealed knowledge about God as if it's in, in some kind of special category of knowledge, 
and uh, you know it it it, it's, it it falls into the realm of mystery, which basically means you could do whatever you want with it, and uh, and they would never be able to tell you you're wrong. Although what was funny, he talked about the importance of interpreting the Bible in community, and I asked him straight up. I said, why should I believe Solomon Porch's uh, community interpretation of the Bible over and above uh, the interpretation come up by the community of Westboro Baptist and Fred Phelps? And uh, he, 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 he swallowed hard on that question. He, didn't, he did not really like it. So, yeah, I mean, But then this... I also asked him if he thought, uh, I said, uh, I asked him, Doug, do you believe that Glenn Beck will become a god? And uh, he, he, after some coaxing, he finally said that, no, he didn't believe that Glenn Beck was going to become a god. And so I immediately asked a follow-up question, well, then based on what are you making that, that, that statement? And uh, <laughs> he didn't like that either, because I was trying to drive him back to that, you know, in, in, you know, when it comes to Christianity, we make claims like this because of what the scriptures say, because it has an authoritative, it's an authoritative word. He does not, he, he, flat out said the Bible is not authoritative. He said that God is. So his God uh, didn't speak authoritatively in the Scriptures, and apparently his God speaks authoritatively uh, through the Scriptures, but the Scriptures are not authoritative. It's, it's, it's all these word games that he plays. And he did a fine job of confusing everybody with the statements that he made during the debate. I mean, the, the emergent church le- is left with, I mean, just absolutely no ecclesiology. I mean, you're just left these communities, and you're interpreting scriptures in, in the context of these communities and uh, in, in joining in uh, the God story, I guess. I mean, is, is that about it? Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, what's funny is I've been, is I've been doing my studies. Uh, I, I see that there's a parallel movement that uh, came and went through the church and lasted about the same amount of time that I think the emergent church is lasting. And uh, that back in the 60s, you had uh, the God is dead theology. And so you had, a, you, had a, you had like five different young theologians, you know, avant-garde theologians who were subscribing to this thing called God is dead. And it was all the rave in the, uh, in the 60s. But by the end of the 60s, early 70s, it had really run its course. And the reason why is because it's, it, it, it has the same basic Hegelian irrational assumptions as uh, the emergent church does and what's funny is is that one of the guys who was uh, involved in the god is dead movement was uh, harvey cox of harvard and uh, and uh, he i think he carried some of the seeds of the whole god is dead thing and helped to revive uh, it in the form of the emergent church back in the uh, in the uh, late 90s with uh, just a couple minutes here, was there anything that? Oh man, Evan used his buzzword. I didn't. I, oh. <laughs> Evan's bud, buzzword was ecclesiology. What a uh, dork! Five hundred. All right, five hundred points okay. for that. Uh, was with a couple minutes here. Uh, was there anything that surprised you from the debate? No, uh, nothing that Doug said surprised me as far as the content. Uh, the, I guess the thing that I did not see coming was uh, D- Doug scolding the audience during the uh, question and answer period. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that was more shock than surprise, though. So, but as far as the things he said, no. And uh, I was very thankful that he said some of the stuff publicly because now we have it on the record, and, and uh, uh, greater minds than myself are, are able to listen to what he said and analyze it and see his theology for what it is. With with just a minute, what uh, what one thing did he say that you're so that you're so pleased to have documented that you uh, are kind of excited about to kind of critique now that we have an official official records of it? 
Uh, he, he flat out said that uh, he decides what's true in the Bible based upon uh, what he believes, uh, it, what he feels is true. Wow. <laughs> Man, I hope he feels good about the right things. <laughs> Me too. Uh, wow. Now, That's just frightful. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, look at it. When, when, you, when you leave um, your own feelings to, to uh, interpretation, you, you're leaving... Uh, your old Adam. So I mean, of course, of course, the, he wouldn't believe in a hell then, right? <laughs> so, all right, Chris, we appreciate you joining us for this edition of Table Talk Radio, and good work out there in Oregon in uh, fighting you. for the faith. Yeah, thank you very yeah. much. All right, you've been listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Don't forget to check out our website at tabletalkradio.org. Where you can listen to podcasts, look at articles and uh, listen to extra interviews on Table Scraps. Uh, Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the Jesus Seminar Bible. (laughs) No good at all. (laughs) You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.